And now please welcome Heather Kamira as she uh, is continuing our Advent series. just said something simple like tell your name and then just highlight from your last week and it was funny because like all of us decided to put our Christmas trees up last week so we all were like oh it was so fun we went to the lot or we cut down a tree there were a lot of lot of different traditions and uh, we did too we put up our Christmas tree last week but it's been different this year because I have a three-year-old and she's very aware of Christmas right now, and she's very determined to help me with all things Christmas. So she was so excited to get out the tree. Uh, she decided she wanted to decorate it. She decided she wanted to be the one that would put the, the, the star on top of the tree. And uh, I didn't realize I was OCD until I let a three-year-old decorate my Christmas tree. Um, all the ornaments were like on one side at the bottom. I was like worried it was going to fall over. Uh, but I figured out, okay, well, if I stand on this ladder or this chair, I'll be able to hold her and she can stick the, the star on top of the tree. She was so excited. And as I have her suspended in midair, I'm holding her with my arms just like, okay, hurry up. She's trying to get that star right on that top branch. I'm thinking, this was the worst idea ever. What was I thinking? There has to be an easier way to do this. And uh, I, I remember as a kid just thinking, man, Christmas is so much fun. It was so easy as a kid. You just wait for it to come, right? And then you get to open all these amazing gifts. But as a parent, it is a completely different world. <laughs> there is so much to do, so much preparation. I have to uh, make my list and check it twice, uh, maybe more times than I'd like. Um, there's so much to prepare for. Uh, you have decorations, you have traditions, you have traffic, you have Christmas trees to put up. You have uh, all the things that involve Christmas, the stockings, the gifts, the perfectly picked Christmas cards, which I might not actually get done this year, so I'm sorry to those of you. <laughs> um, but it's, it's hard because it's easy, especially as a parent, to just get swept away in the tradition, swept away in the preparation for Christmas, and I forget to prepare for the most important thing of all, right? This Advent season, we're taking the time to actually, we take the next couple weeks here leading up to Christmas to prepare our hearts to celebrate for the, the birth of Christ. As the famous Christmas carol says, the one that we sung this morning, joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. And as much as we prepare for all things Christmas, how much more important is it that we create space in our lives and in our hearts for the presence of God to come? And that's what I love, is the original message of Christmas is come and see. Come and see a person, not just uh, moral laws or more things to do or, or make sure you do this and not that. Like it's, it's a person. Come and see a person, Jesus. And in this Advent series, we're doing just that by looking at different names and different titles of Jesus in Scripture. One of my favorite quotes, and I've said it before, but since it's my favorite, I get to say it again, uh, is from A.W. Tozer. And he says, what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And that's an interesting quote, but it's true, isn't it? 
because we live our lives based off of those instinctual gut reactions that we have. And when we think of God, what comes to mind? And so this, this Advent series, we hope not to just expand that, but we hope to actually live in the reality of who Jesus is, that it would touch our lives, that it would change our lives. So let's go ahead and pray as we dive into the word today. God, we thank you for just this morning that you got us here safely through the, all the snow and <clears throat> I do, I, I just as, as I woke up this morning and I, I saw the, the fresh snow on the ground, there was just an excitement and an expectation. God, would you do something fresh in our hearts today? Would you just walk amidst, our, amidst us today? Would you be really present? Would you come near to us, God, that we would, we would hear your voice? That we just wouldn't hear the words I'm speaking, but God, that you would anoint these words. God, you would use them, Lord, to reveal your truth, to reveal your love for us today, God. We just give you this time, and we thank you for it. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. So tonight we're going to be looking at, or this morning, I'm sorry, this morning we're going to be looking at one of the famous I am statements in the book of John. And there are seven metaphors that Jesus uses to describe himself in the book of John. Um, I have a list here if you want to see them all. There's the bread of life, there's the light of the world, there's the door of the sheep, there's the good shepherd, there's the resurrection and the life, there's the way, the truth, and the life, and there's the true vine. So he uses all these metaphors, not just to describe who he is, but also to describe a kingdom reality. And that's what I love about Jesus, is, is what he says has such deep meaning, doesn't it? So tonight we're going to be looking at, or this morning, goodness, this morning we're going to be looking at Jesus as the light of the world. And it's a powerful metaphor, it's a radical claim, and it's an incredible invitation to us today. So nearing the end of his ministry is when Jesus says this. In John 8, 12, he says, When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And now Jesus is referred to as light throughout Scripture. He refers to himself as light throughout Scripture. And even in the Old Testament, uh, prophecies telling about Jesus talk about him as light. In Isaiah 9, 2, it says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Now, of course, we all know the story, right? When he was born, there was a big old star above that manger. I mean, it brought the shepherds, it brought the magi, but they weren't there to see the light above the manger, were they? They were there to see the light in the manger. I think what the shepherds and the wise men realized is that it was to come to see a person, right? Come and see Jesus himself, this child born in a manger. So to understand this metaphor of light, we're going to dive into a little bit of the nature of light. What is light? And, and this is where I love, to, I love to dig deep into concepts. And uh, then I realized, you know what? I dropped out of physics in high school. I have no idea what light is. <laughs> and I don't recommend that to anybody who's in high school. Um, I took biology, but <laughs> I didn't take physics. And so I had to ask my husband. I said, "Hun, can you give me like a synopsis of what light is? And he got all excited, and, and this is what he wrote. So here's a little physics 101, okay? 
Here we go. Okay, so light is seen as something as very unique and very special even in the physics and science communities. By nature, light is pure energy. Isn't that cool? It's a massless photon, had to look that one up, that carries the properties of a particle, yet miraculously behaves like a wave, like a radio wave. Light is effectively the speed limit of the universe. Now, we as people have traveled the speed of sound, right? Have you ever heard like Mach 3? He's going Mach 3, you know, like on those Top Gun, you know, I don't know, that's like my only reference for that. But we know we can reach the sound of, of the speed of sound, but to reach the speed of light is impossible. Nothing is able to surpass the speed of light. And actually, if you were to approach the speed of light, this is crazy, everything in matter, everything in physics would start to implode. Time itself would actually start to slow down and eventually stop. It's, it's amazing. So there are many types of light. So you've heard of X-rays, radio waves, gamma rays, ultraviolet rays, infrared waves, microwaves, not that box in your kitchen, but what it produces, microwaves. These are all parts of the spectrum of light. But it's all the parts of light that the human eye can't even detect. So all color and depth perception is a result of our naked eye being exclusively sensitive to less than one one-thousandth of a percent of the full light spectrum. So that means that 99.9% .9 of light as we know it in this universe, we can't even see with our naked eye. That's incredible. So light is produced by friction, it's produced by fire, by numerous chemical reactions, by nuclear reactions, and there are numerous sources of light, right? But the main source of light as we know it, and as the Israelites would have known it in that day, was the sun. So in a practical sense, what does light do for us? What does light do for us? Well, first, it's the source of all life. All life, right? Light and life are completely intertwined. You can't have life unless you have light. Really important. Even in the process of photosynthesis, which I, ha I actually knew that word because <laughs> I took biology, is an illustration of this. Light is fundamental to the development of plant life and everything on Earth that is living. So light is also the source of truth and understanding. <clears throat> if you want to examine something, what do we do? We shine a light on it. Think of like a microscope. Looking at something, being able to understand something, light reveals the truth. So I'm able to discern and pick up not only the color of an object, but its size, its distance from me, its shape. In fact, if you were to try to, if you were in a room that you didn't know, right, a, a room that you'd never been in and it was pitch black, and you tried to find your way out of there, I think there's some rooms like that in Columbus. It's like a fun thing. You go in a black room and you have to find your way out. Um, <laughs> don't think that would be fun for me. But uh, you stumble around, right? You stumble around because you can't see anything. And so you flip the light on so that you can understand your surroundings, so you know how to navigate around the things in the room. Same with light. So light is also a source of joy. Psychologically, 
I don't know about you, but the whole fact that it is getting dark by like not, or 4.30 at night, at night, it's in the afternoon, it's depressing. It's just depressing. I look outside at work and it's 4.30, I'm like, wait a minute, it's already getting dark. This is, this is so not cool. And what's funny is we actually have the blue, light, blue Christmas service on the longest day of the year, which is the 21st of December. But has anyone you know ever struggled with SAD? It's seasonal affective disorder, it's a real thing. Um, think about the people that live at the poles. <laughs> I actually have friends that live in Finland, and they actually bought a house in Germany just so they could escape the darkness and uh, live in the sunlight a little bit longer. They even have lights that you can buy to just soak up extra UV rays so that you don't get depressed during those seasonal, seasonal, through that seasonal darkness. So let's look at the claims of Jesus when it comes to the life, the truth, and joy. In our modern century ears, when we hear Jesus say, I am the light of the world, we think, well, that's fantastic. It's so festive. Of course he's the light of the world. And uh, I think we, uh, we just hear it so much that we lose its meaning, right? And so digging into more of what the Israelites were hearing when they first heard, I am the light of the world, we realize this was at very least shocking that he said this, but it was actually blasphemous. So much so that later in the chapter, it actually says, and they didn't kill him because it wasn't his time yet. So to them, hearing I am the light of the world wasn't just some festive, nice little statement that Jesus was making. It was clearly radical. So what is he actually saying? So to figure this out, we have to look at where Jesus was when he said it and when he was saying it. Jesus was in Jerusalem at the time. It was kind of shocking that he was even in Jerusalem at the time because the hostility toward Jesus was actually growing. This is toward the end of his ministry. So people didn't expect that he was gonna show up in the temple in Jerusalem at this time. It was during the Feast of the Tabernacles, which is an annual, week-long Jewish holiday commemorating how God took care of them when they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. So this was a time when God had directed them in the wilderness by what? It was a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, right? He was their guiding light. So to commemorate this during the Feast of the Tabernacles, they lit like four huge candelabras in the court of women, which everyone was allowed in except for the Gentiles, because remember there's different parts of the, the temple. And the court of women is, is where they would give their offerings, and it was where they lit these huge candelabras. And on top of each candelabra, there were four bowls that they lit, and, and people would have to climb up, I guess, at least the historians say, climb up to light them, and, and they were so bright, especially at night when they lit them, during that week-long festival that they said they could see the light from, from Galilee, which was not possible, but it was obviously saying, with, with the temple being on the hill, with Jerusalem being the highest point, this light was casting light over the whole, whole city. So Jesus is in front of these candelabras when he says, I am the light of the world. But when he said that, what he was saying to the Israelites was, I am the fulfillment of what you celebrate today. I am the source of light that once guided you in the wilderness. I am God. 
And that's why it was blasphemous to their ears that he would say such a thing and make such a radical claim. So it was radical for them to hear him say, I am the light of the world, but what is its influence on us today? Jesus is saying to us today, I am the source of ultimate life. I and I alone can bring eternal life. I'm the one who's conquered death. I'm the one who brings life and change into your life. When you think of spring coming, which I already am at this point, but when you think of spring coming and the sun comes out, things start to melt, things start to bud, things start to grow. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, when I become not just an inspirational figure in your life, but when I become your light, things start to change in you. There's new life in you. He's also saying, I am the source of ultimate truth, right? He says, and, and though this is not a popular statement today, he is saying in front of the tabernacle, or in the tabernacle, at, at the Feast of the Tabernacle, he's saying, I am the only way for you to know who God really is. I am the glory of God guiding you in this dark world. You want to understand how to navigate life? You want to understand the truths the realities, God is our light. Jesus is that ultimate truth. He's also the ultimate joy. He's the ultimate hope. He's the ultimate thing that satisfies our life, right? Because we weren't created for this world, and the desires we have sure weren't created for this world. Only in him can we find the satisfaction we're longing for. What I've seen and experienced in the presence of God is nothing in comparison to what, what seems to fade away so quickly in this world. So he's not just saying about something about who he is here, but he's also talking about a kingdom reality. He's talking about what he came to do in the world. In Luke 4, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners for recovery of the sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of our Lord's favor. In John 1, 4 through 5, it says, In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. So he brings ultimate truth, ultimate life, ultimate joy, but this claim wasn't just philosophical. It wasn't just a great fact to believe in about Jesus. It is an incredible invitation for us today. He says, follow me. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That means when we accept that light into our life, when we accept Jesus, the reality of our lives, the spiritual reality of our life shifts. When we follow Jesus, it's like living with the lights on all the time. No matter what darkness we step in, the light is always with us. In Psalm 23, 4, and this is one of my favorite verses, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I used to be really afraid of the dark as a kid, and... 
even as a teenager, I was still afraid of the dark, so much so that when my parents would leave or when they'd say goodnight, I'd get back up, I'd go in the hallway, turn the light on, open my door, and then go back to bed. Because once the light was on, I could tell everything, okay, every, I could see everything in my room. There was no boogeyman in my closet. There was nothing over there. I didn't know what that was. It revealed my reality and gave me peace. And turning the lights on is, is what, what happens when we, when we turn the lights on. That's, that's how we get that kind of peace. I think it's really easy in the darkness to feel overwhelmed, especially, and this is a hard part for a lot of, a lot of people I know, it's the fact that we can't see God with our eyes, right? The fact that we can't see him with our physical eyes is really hard. But that's why God sent his Holy Spirit. When he said, I'm leaving this world, but I'm sending you the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. So he's saying, don't merely trust in the truth of Scripture, but trust that you get to experience my presence here and now, because it's going to be a relationship. He's saying, come and see Jesus. Faith is trusting in what we can't see, right? It's trusting that what we've come to experience in his presence is true. That why we're hearing, that's why we're hearing God speak and, and that's why we remember the things that he's done in our lives is because it's so vital to our faith. It stirs up excitement and thanksgiving and joy and eternal perspective. And we understand that this physical world, which we can't even see all of it anyways, only less than a percent, is not our only reality. This physical world is not our only reality. And by saying, follow me, I think Jesus is saying three things today. I think he's inviting us to live more courageously. Do you realize that the light is so much more powerful than the darkness? In John 1, 5, it says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. If I was to divide this room in half with like a wall and we say this half is full of light, completely full of light, and this half is completely full of darkness, no light at all, light, dark, wall, and I poke a hole in the wall, what happens? Does the darkness pierce the light or does the light pierce the darkness? Jesus' presence always tears down strongholds. The light will always cause the darkness to flee. When you flick on that light, what happens? Darkness just runs for the corners, behind the shadows. It cannot stand to be in the presence of light. Our, our perspective truly shifts when we remember who we are and what we carry. This is illustrated in a story about a lady who had a small house by the seashore in Ireland at the turn of the century. She was quite wealthy, but also quite frugal, so the people were surprised when she was the first to decide to have electricity installed in her home. But when the electric company came back a couple months later and checked her meter, they realized she hadn't used any of the power. So they asked her, uh, is anything broken? Is everything working correctly? And she said, yeah, it's working great. And then they asked her, well, how much do you use it? And she said, well, every night when it gets dark, I turn on the lights just long enough to light my candles. And we live like that, don't we? 
How many of us flip, flip on the lights occasionally, but we forget to live constantly in the light of Christ? What would change in us? What change would occur in us and around us if we chose to live in the radiance of God's presence all the time? What would change? There's a story I remember as a kid of a, a missionary group who went to uh, Mexico on a mission trip, and, and they were waiting for their bus, which wasn't coming for a while, so they decided to just take a look around town. And there was this gorgeous church in the middle of the town, and they said, well, let's just go check it out. And so they went into the church, and beautiful architecture, and, and really pretty, and, and they walked in just the back because they wanted to be respectful. There was like a ceremony going on up front. They didn't really know what. What they didn't realize was that the church hadn't been used in a long time and that the occult had actually kind of taken over. And they were performing some services up front and, and doing, doing uh, some, I don't know, whatever they do <laughs> um, up front, and, and they didn't know. They were completely oblivious. They were just standing in the back, just observing the beauty of the, the cathedral. And they're standing back there, and all of a sudden, a lady up front gets up and starts screaming at them in Spanish. And she walks up to them and she says, get out now. Finally, they translated in Spanish. And they're like, what do we do? We're so sorry. Like, we shouldn't be in here. And she told them that they were messing up what they were trying to accomplish up front. That just them being in the church was stopping them from, from practicing in the occult. They were amazed that their presence, their presence, had that much power. Matthew 5, 14 through 16 says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify the Father who is in heaven. I think we need to remember that the world needs our light. We don't have to do something crazy and courageous, like go to Standing Rock, pack up and go to Standing Rock and do something amazing with our life. We don't even have to pack our bags and move to another city or another country to do something amazing and courageous for God. You know what's more courageous and what's harder? is to be the light in your home, to be the light in your workplace, to be the light in your neighborhood. That's harder. Greg Boyd says, our central job is not to solve the world's problems. Our job is to draw our entire life from Christ and manifest that life to others. Nothing could be simpler, and yet nothing could be more challenging. I got a chance to say goodbye to a coworker recently, and uh, I had missed her the first time she came to say goodbye to everybody. And so I was really bummed. I was like, oh, I loved her. She was such a sweet person. And I, she was one of those people I was really trying to invest in at work. And, and she worked off-site. And so I remember thinking, like, man, I would have loved to say goodbye, maybe even pray for her. That would have been so cool. And funny enough, she actually came back the next day. And I don't know about you, but when you get a second chance, you kinda, your boldness kind of <laughs> comes out. And so I walked her out, and, and we were talking about her transition. And she's telling me, like, all the struggles she's having with you know, the thought of leaving and packing, and, and so I asked her, I said, you know, uh, can I pray for you? Would it be okay if I pray for you? And 
And, and then I realized what I had just said, and, and I'm like, well, I don't know your spiritual framework, but, you know, I believe in Jesus, you know, and I just start, like, packaging it, and, and she's like, sure, yeah. And I knew she was Hindu, uh, so I said, well, is it okay if I pray for you, like, right now? And she's like, oh, like, right now? And we're standing outside, like, on the sidewalk. I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm not, like, I'm probably, I'm thinking to myself, I'm not going to see her again. And so we're standing there, and, and I put my hand on her shoulder, and, we start, and I start to pray for her. And immediately she starts to cry. And she's like, I don't know why I'm crying. <laughs> she's just wiping away tears, and I just ask God to give her peace. And she was just so blessed by that. And I said, I know that Jesus loves you, and I know he's going to be with you. I'm going to be praying for you. And she was so incredibly touched. And I remember thinking, I know she doesn't know what's going on here, but I know what's going on here. <laughs> this is the Holy Spirit. This is the light of God showing up. Do we understand, really understand what we have? We are the light of the world. And as sons and daughters, we bring his presence with us wherever we go. We have access to what the world needs most. So we live courageously, but we also live with integrity. And this is a hard one. <laughs> C.S. Lewis defines integrity as doing the right thing even when no one is looking. And that's what Jesus is saying to us, is to live in the light. The way you live by yourself when no one's looking is how you should be living when everyone's looking and when the lights are on. He's asking us to live authentically, to not be hypocrites, to live in the light. I love David's prayer in Psalm 139, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me to the way everlasting. Because I know, and I know you know, we all have blind spots, don't we? We all have parts of our life that we just can't see. And it's so easy to see the speck in somebody else's eye. Let me get that for you. But it is so hard to take the log out of our own eye. I don't like seeing my flaws. I don't know about you, but I don't like seeing my flaws. That's why I wear makeup. Um, it's so I don't have to see my flaws. Uh, most of us would actually rather stay in darkness than actually admit our struggles or admit our need for God. But without him and without his light, we stay weighed down by sin, right? We stay in bondage and we don't grow. My husband, Adam, is one of those people that have exposed <laughs> the darkness in me just by being himself. He's an awesome guy. And I remember once when I was complaining to God about not being married. <clears throat> I remember exactly where I was, driving along, and I'm just complaining out loud, going, God, can you just tell me if I'm going to get married? Because all my friends were getting married at the time. They're all having babies already. I'm like, I haven't even found a guy. There's no guy in my prospects at all. Like, and I'm complaining to the Lord. I'm, I'm just saying, God, would you just tell me? Would you just tell me if I'm going to get married or not so I can move on with my life? And after I stopped complaining and I got quiet, I just felt the Lord say, Heather, then you wouldn't need faith because that's what it's all about. You've got to learn to trust me. Ooh. And then, oh, he wasn't done. He said, with this, like, this awe of God moment where I, the fear of God just kind of fell on me, he's like, but if you do get married, I'm going to get to stuff in you that you've never let me get to. 
And all of a sudden, I realized, oh my gosh, I probably have things in my life that I don't even know are there. And I think I'm great single. I think I'm great single. This is awesome. Like being single is the best thing ever, God. You know, I am great. Because <laughs>、uh, we don't like being exposed, do we? Well, funny enough, unbeknownst to me, my husband was actually already in my life, and he had already been in my life for three years. I just didn't see him. God's so funny like that. But he was right too. God was right because. Adam is a mirror in my life. My husband is a mirror. Our friends, our community, our, our friends, our family are a, a mirror in our life. Adam, God has used Adam as a tool—not not a tool, but a tool in my life—to <laughs> get to the blind spots in me. And I don't know about you, but I, I really, I really—it's hard for me to look at my mess. It's really humbling. Especially when I don't, and this is the hard part for me, when I know that I'm not going to be fixed tomorrow, because the anger that came out of me today, it might still be there tomorrow, and I'm going to have to keep working on it. That's hard for me. But the promise is that I don't do this alone, right? I don't do this alone because it's God that will complete the good work in me. Thank Jesus. <laughs> It's not me. It's not dependent on me to fix myself. It is all up to me getting close to the light, and letting things grow and develop in me, change in me. He also gives us community, amazing community to help us grow, to rub on those rough spots in our lives. I had a friend in my small group、uh, who told me recently, and I actually had to write it down because I thought it was so good. She said, "I think the reason behind why it's so hard to look at our flaws." Is that we forget to look at ourselves in the light of God's grace, and in the hope of salvation. Without His grace, looking at ourselves is just utterly depressing, and it is filled with condemnation. But if I look at myself with God's grace, with His unmerited favor, with His love, there is hope. It distinguishes the guilt and the shame that I feel. And I know that I have nothing on my own, and it pushes me into deeper surrender with Him.、Hmm. I have some cool people in my small group. <laughs> so instead of pretending in my life to just that the darkness isn't there, to just avoid it, I'm realizing that God's presence is actually the safest place I can be to bring out my junk. God wants to make an exchange with me. He wants to bring in that light into those dark rooms to give me freedom. Though sometimes freedom is not immediate, sometimes freedom takes time. It's gradual. His light is such a comfort to know I'm accepted and that I'm not disqualified because of those things. His grace is so sufficient. Jesus wants us to live courageously. He wants us to live in the light and live with integrity. But he also wants us to live attractively, and this is this is a big one. Jesus was attractive. I never saw him. I've never seen him with my actual eyes, but I see him in the pages of Scripture, and he is the most attractive person I know. I have seen him over and over again. The children that would come up to Jesus just flock to him with unabandoned, just get on his lap. They couldn't resist Jesus. He could find beauty in lilies and in sparrows, and he would spend days with the sick and the needy, and he never get tired. 
of having compassion for them. And he spent over three decades of walking in the muck and the mire of our sin and the brokenness of this world and still saw enough beauty in us and worth in us to die for us. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still in darkness, he died for us. Our lives should be saying to other people, come and see this Jesus. Come and see this Jesus. By simply the way that we love people, by simply the way that we handle pressure when those deadlines are looming, by the way that we take criticism, people are watching, by the way that you treat people that work under you. J.R.R. Tolkien says some believe it is only great power that can hold evil in check. But that's not what I've found. I've found that it is the small, everyday deeds of ordinary folk that keep the darkness at bay through small acts of kindness and love. Never underestimate that. Martin Luther King Jr. says, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. When I first met Bertha, we were as a small group going to Bryden Place, and it was a nursing home right off of Broad Street. So it's not the best part of town, and it's not a great facility. And I remember the, she was one of the first people I met there, and she had the brightest smile of anybody I've ever seen. She lit up the room. She just had so much joy. She would sing literally at the top of her lungs to every song that we would lead. It was awesome. And she had just a vibrancy, a light about her. But what you don't realize is that most of the time when she came downstairs to our little services we had, she'd forget her teeth. And so her smile was totally unabandoned, teethless and all, <laughs> toothless and all. She just beamed. And what you also don't realize is she was confined to a wheelchair. Um, everyone had to help her do pretty much everything. And it was a humbling place to be. She would talk about her family not having visited her in a very long time. And yet she had such a joy, such a vibrancy that was so attractive. The Bible teaches that people who are separated from Christ, so the people that you know that don't know Jesus, that they're in darkness, but there's a difference. They're in darkness. They are not the darkness, right? Ephesians 6:12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh or blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Being a light in this world, being somebody like Bertha, doesn't mean that we live in a constant state of superiority because we have the truth. It should elicit our compassion, not our exclusion. The advantage of having the light is not for us to take, it's for us to give. And we need to be careful not to be separatists, right? We're so scared at times of the darkness rubbing off on us, but that's just not true. And we shouldn't be hiding in our towers of fear and self-protection from the darkness. These people need the light. 
And God made you to love him and love your neighbor. He never said your neighbor would know Jesus. He never said that they would all be in the light and you'd have this happy time and it'd be a wonderful place to get to know each other and share a meal. He said, they're probably gonna be in darkness. They might even be your enemy and yet I'm calling you to love them. I think if every single one of us raised our hand, we'd say, you know what, we know at least a couple people that we live around, that we, that we do life with, that we work with, that don't know Jesus. But we can't hide in the darkness, hide from the darkness. We can't hide from it because that's not the picture of Jesus in Scripture, is it? He charges into the darkness to find that one lost sheep. And that should be our heart. In 1 John 2, 9 through 10, it says, The one who says that he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness. The one who loves his brother abides in light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. Now I struggle with this too. Pride is something we all struggle with, but I think pride and superiority are those things, it's kind of like a a dark black hole of the human soul, right? Because it sucks in everything for their own gain, for your own gain, for your own comfort. Jesus says, I want you to love. I want you to die to your agendas. I want you to die to your comfort and be willing to go into really uncomfortable places to be the light, to be my light. You know what I think is really attractive to the world? Are people that don't have all the answers, but they know what they believe in. They know who they believe in. They know why they believe in him. And they know how to talk about it, and and not in a superiority, kind of a superior way, but in a way that's gentle, in a way that's without an agenda, with a way that's loved, uh, with loving kindness, with, with just, that's just natural. I saw so many women doing this last weekend. <clears throat> and I don't know if you uh, were here for the women's brunch, but we had almost 400 women in this room at tables. It was amazing. And I saw women bringing in friends. I saw them bringing in coworkers. I saw them bringing in bowling partners. <laughs> I saw them bringing in family, mothers, daughters, sisters. And what's incredible, and I only found this out later, was that over almost half of the people that were in the room don't even go to our church. That meant that almost half were just invited, invited by us, invited by you. And they came to have a lo- be loved on, to celebrate a season that maybe they don't go to church, maybe they've never been in a church all year, and yet they walked in that day. I think Jesus is calling us to be life, he's calling us to be truth, and he's calling us to be a source of joy and hope for people. And today, as we, as we walk into ministry time, there's a, there's a couple things that I, I felt like he wanted to highlight. So why don't we go ahead and stand? Um, as we were talking, um, especially about people who were in darkness, I think, I think God has maybe highlighted one person that, that you just have a heart for, you feel like, maybe I'm, I'm in their life for a reason. Maybe I've been more of a light to them than I have even realized. But 
And I know what this is like. Sometimes people just don't want to listen to you. They don't want to hear what you have to say about Jesus. And it can be difficult to have those natural, genuine conversations with them. And, and so I just want to um, invite you to come forward and, and we can pray for them. We can't always have conversations. We can't always um, make them hear the truth. But we can be the light and we can, we can sure as heck pray for them, right? <laughs> We can invite the presence of God to come and meet them. And so I want to take some time to do that today. For those of you who have a burden on your heart, for someone that you know that is in the darkness and doesn't know Jesus, I want you to come forward and just have someone pray with you. And let's pray for them today. Let's pray that not only can you be bold in shining your light in their life, but that you can also see the presence of God meeting them in unique ways. And then I also um, felt like as I was praying for today that... uh, that God, God was asking some of us to try again. And I didn't really get a, an interpretation of that, but I think for some of us, we know what that means. That, that he's giving us the courage to try again. And if, you know, if, you, if that's for you, I think you know what that, that probably means. But, but I also ask you to come forward and, and, and get some prayer today because it, it takes courage, it takes hope to try again. And uh, I think the Lord really wants to meet you today. So if those are you, if you have someone on your heart that you'd love to pray for this morning, if you have just that, that thought in your mind, gosh, I think God wants me to try again, um, come forward and, and get some prayer this morning. And then uh, the last one that I felt like the Lord, and you can go ahead and start coming forward. And um, the last one I felt like the Lord was, was speaking to me was, was about hope and that some of us have really struggled with holding on to hope right now, <laughs> and that life has been so dark and so hard that it has been really difficult to hold on to hope. And so if that's you, if, if hope is something, whether it's hope in the life of someone you know who's in darkness, hope for your own life and your own circumstances, hope that God is truly bigger than the darkness that you face, then I ask you to come forward because God wants to, wants to reveal that to you, wants to reveal you to you his hope. It's a gift that he wants to give you today. So if that's you, if, if hope is something that, that you realize you need from God today, would you come forward and we're just going to have, have some people come alongside of you and pray. Um, so come on forward, anyone that uh, feels like those are for you. And, and prayer team, if we could have you guys come on forward and just wrap your arm around these people, girls with girls, guys with guys, any of you can pray. Um, let's, let's bless what God is doing here today. Come on forward. We still need uh, some prayers. Light of the world. Light of the world, you step down into darkness. Open my eyes, let me see beauty that made a part. Adore you, hope of a life spent with you. So here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down, here I am to say that you're my God.
all together lovely, all together worthy, all together wonderful to me. King of all days, and King of all days, oh, so highly exalted, glorious in heaven above. Humbly you came to the earth you created, all for love's sake became poor. So here I am to worship, here I am to bow down, here I am to say that you're my God, and you're all together lovely, all together worthy, you're all together wonderful to me. So here I am to worship, here I am to bow down, here I am to say that you're my God. You're all together lovely, all together worthy, all together wonderful to Father, we just are so grateful for your light in our lives, for the power that it brings, for the hope that it brings us. God, would you remind us to just quiet ourselves this season as we approach Christmas and, and remember what we, what we have, God. Would you give us opportunities to be a light wherever we are, Lord, to be love, to be truth, to bring joy. God, we're so grateful for for the time we have this morning just to be with you. And uh, we pray that you would go with us this week. God, I just just pray blessing over everyone here in the name of Jesus. God, I pray your power would just go with everyone here, God. Mm. We're just so grateful, Lord Jesus, for for you and for, uh, for your cross, God. And we pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, for those of you still getting prayer, just continue to do so. And uh, for the rest of us, uh, make sure that uh, when you're in the lobby to check out uh, the info table for anything that you need to sign up for. And I just pray blessing over you guys. Thanks.